1: Hello, Master Plan World. Welcome to the final podcast in our 2018 e-commerce growth series. It's been awesome having you all listening to this ses- this, this set of sessions, and I hope you found them super useful. I'm Chloe Thomas, the creator of the e-commerce Master Plan, author, speaker, and advisor, focusing on e-commerce marketing in the 2018. 2018- e-commerce growth series is a set of hand-picked interviews to give you ideas and inspiration on how to grow your e-commerce business in 2018. We'll be covering several of the key topics I believe you should be considering. In fact, we've already covered them and getting into some fascinating e-commerce businesses. It's now all live if you want to go and have a listen. Just find that at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash podcast. And if this e commerce growth series whets your appetite for really going for growth this year. Then make sure you're also signed up to our e commerce master plan virtual summit. It's free and packed with videos from experts covering lots of different ways to improve your business. Podcast guest Adam Watson of Hollywood Mirrors is also a fan. As he said, top quality content and tips I had not heard of before. Thank you very much. I have lots to implement. You can get immediate access to that at ecommerce master forward slash summit. For now, though, let's get on with today's show. So let me introduce you to today's special guest. Very special guest this week. Uh, now, Cliff Crosby is co-founder and CXO at EmRays, where he works on calculating emotions and and Chief Retail Officer at Performance Solutions, where he helps retailers deliver the best possible customer experience. Now, I saw Cliff speak at 2017's Internet Retailing Conference. I mentioned his session in The Takeaways. That was episode 123-5, if you want to listen. And I knew I had to get him on the show for for this e-commerce growth series, both for the exciting work he's currently doing and because of his impressive retail pedigree. Cliff has over 30 years of experience working with some of the best brands in the world. He ran Apple's, yes, Apple's global premium reseller program, where the focus was on delivering an exceptional in-store experience for customers in over 90 countries. He was Japan country sales manager for IKEA, global VP for Nokia's retail and customer marketing, head of Nike's European franchise program, and the first general manager of Nike Town London. Given that CV, it's no surprise that Cliff's passion is for improving the customer experience in off and online retail. Hello, Cliff. Hi, Chloe. How are you doing today?
0: I'm doing great, thank you.
1: Excellent. Well, look, I've just given our listeners uh, quite an overview of you and what you've been up to in the past and where you are at the moment. But how did you end up in this world of e-commerce?
0: I I think it was uh, just really natural, you know, because e-commerce, I I don't see any difference uh, in in retail uh, between online and offline. And I think, you know, when you look at the definition of retail itself, you know, it's defined by, you know, a route to selling uh, goods to an end consumer. Uh, somewhere. And I think how you do that is just an extension of retail. So, especially nowadays, retail becomes you know any channel that works uh, to get your goods to the customer in the right way.
1: So, do you think that makes things easier for the retailer? Or, And I'm going to use retailer as someone selling goods to a consumer for the yeah. sake of argument here. Um, yeah. Do you think that kind of development in consumer behavior makes it easier for the retailer to give a good experience or makes it tougher?
0: I I think it just needs, like always in retail, it just needs you to change to adapt uh, to today's uh, ways of doing business. Uh, It definitely makes it tougher in the sense that the customer is more savvy than they've ever been. You know, they Mm -hmm. have access to all the information and it just makes it tougher for the retailer because you've got to be Uh, wherever that customer shows up so whether it's online offline uh, you know you've got to be there with the right offer and the right product at the right time i'm not sure that that's any different to to how it's ever been but uh you know it's definitely today you know a case of being really smart about where your customer is and what service you need to provide at that point
1: and God there's so many so many directions we could go in in this conversation um I guess I guess you know, given this is all about retail customer experience mm-hmm. for you, does it come you know what's the starting point with that? Is it the product and then deciding on the right channels and the right experience for each of those channels? Is it about the customer and then putting the right product in the right place with the right service experience? Or is it, you know, brand or something else? Where do you, you know, if you're going, right, I've got a website and I've got a store. Yeah. yeah. Where do you start? Because there's so many options. Because, you know, you're, you're very into getting the tech right and improving yeah, the ROI yeah. as well. Where do you start?
0: But these things, you know, the tech and the ROI and all these things are just part of the customer experience. So I think you have to start with uh, what it is you want to deliver. I mean, products a little bit, uh, if you're a retailer, Uh, You know, product is mainly a a bit of a given. You know, when when I was working for Apple, I I didn't affect the product directly. Uh, What I affected at retail was the experience the customer, you know, had when they came to that point of sale. So I think uh, unless you're actually a product person, and of course, brands are all about product as well. But when you have that product, the next stage is, you know, what do I want the customer experience to be? And for me, experience is leading, you know, so you, the the first thing you want to get right is that end experience. And especially now, because, you know, when people go to retail now, they don't want to just go to shop. I can do that online. I can just pick up the product online if that's what I want to do. But uh, when I go to a retail uh, outlet now, that's the chance for a brand to deliver a great experience to a consumer. And so, so sorry, after you? Yeah. No, so I'm just, I'm just reiterating that I think the, the experience you want to give that customer is, is leading.
1: And so therefore, the experience starts with what you as a business want the customer to feel and experience.
0: Exactly. And uh, how, how you want, you know, that's that's all the things. It, it's like I said at the conference about, uh, you know, the emotional side. Mm-hmm. That also comes into this, you know, how do you want the customer to feel? And, uh, you know, how are you going to drive loyalty for your brand? Because, you know, no one nowadays just wants to make a one-off purchase and get out of there unless you're a kind of market trader or something like that. You know, you, you have to drive loyalty in your, your customers.
1: So, is when you're trying to work out what the emotional experience or the experience yeah. should be, is it because you mentioned loyalty there, is it from the very first moment they visit the website or they walk past the store, you're thinking about purchase number two?
0: No, I, th- I think you're thinking about making that customer more than one purchase, you know? So, uh, you know, you don't want a customer to just come buy one thing off you and that's the end of it. So, I, th- I think the experience has to drive uh, partly how. You can make this person fall in love with your brand and stick with your brand, and uh, you know uh, continue on with you as a brand. So, you know that might the second purchase. You know if someone comes into Apple and buys a, a MacBook, you don't expect the next purchase to be for a few years, probably. But uh, you've still got to deliver that experience. So you're 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 part of uh, the memory of how it is to interact with that brand. You know.
1: And you mentioned emotion there, which is something which I find really fascinating. It's, yeah. it's one, of, one of my kind of like guilty pleasures is diving into the world of neuromarketing yeah. and emotions and, and all of that sort of thing. Because you're you're very much involved with the work you're doing at emrays in trying to create turn that, that emotional piece into not just a, an idea, but into a, a kind of a set of stats and numbers.
0: Well, it comes from, you know, everyone who's worked in marketing uh, over the years has, has heard of sentiment analysis. So, uh, you know, and this works with IBM Watson, uh, you know, the tool, that's mm-hmm. probably the biggest tool in the world at the moment that does it. But what sentiment uh, does is it's basically working out positive and negative. So, you know, I can look at words in reviews and I, I can say, you know, this is mainly positive, this is mainly negative, or or there's the dreaded neutral, you know, which comes up a lot. And, you know, I, I, I've yet to work out what neutral really means, you know, but it's not <laughs> a lot you can actually work on. So, you know, with EmRays, we've (coughs) dived into this world of seeing if we can actually turn uh, the words of people or the text or whatever way you look at it into uh, digging out the actual emotion the person has when they're reading that kind of text. And that's what we've been able to do. (coughs) So it means we can we can dig into that. Now, what that means for brands is that uh, you know you can see when influencers are working for you on Facebook or wherever, or uh, when uh, your, your public uh, fans write reviews about you, you can get a, a, a real accurate view of how people actually feel about your brand. And then you can target your marketing to it. So it, it's been a fascination for me, I think, mm-hmm. mainly since uh, Nike time when we were desperately trying to find out exactly how people were feeling. And we got, yeah, yeah, they're positive and these people are negative and these people are neutral and we <laughs> didn't really know what to <laughs> So it's been a frustration of mine over a while. Of You know, when, when you're a brand that says things like you want people to love them, you know, or you want people to be amazed, uh, how do you measure that? You know, <laughs> so yeah. we'll get to that point. So I think like you, I'm fascinated by trying to find out, you know, the more mass emotional state of uh, people when they interact with brands, or even with the news, or anything, you know, how are people feeling, and uh, you know, how how can we use that as a brand or a retailer to to help get our experience better, or, or you know, manage that experience a little bit more.
1: So, is the the emotional tracking side of things is that very much at the exploration stage right now it's a case it's, it's not a case of we want people to feel this how do we do it it's more a case of what are people feeling do we like that and how yeah, can we get more of it
0: yeah we're kind of beyond uh we, we trained the tool on news uh so so we took news right across the world and mm. uh, trained the tool on how, how to read news and of course news is one of the most emotional uh, uh things going on in the yeah. world So we trained it by first starting to look at uh, actual reactions to news that people would have on Facebook and Twitter, and uh, that was the kind of learning. So as the tool uh, worked on a deep learning model, it was uh, initially starting to take all these Facebook feeds, but then we, uh, at a point, it was able to then start to work it out itself. And uh, so now we can predict the news before we even see the reactions, uh, which is the, r- the real interesting thing. So if a headline comes out right now, mm-hmm. uh, we can tell you how people are going to feel about it uh, uh, going forward. And, of wow. course, that is really useful for brands to be able to react. Uh, so if I take a real example... Uh, like uh, say IKEA with the chest of drawers falling over, good controversial one here where mm-hmm. you know children have died in America because of this. Uh, when when sentiment analysis ran on that story, it comes out as angry and negative uh, as a story. Or actually, it doesn't even come out as angry because they can't measure that. It comes out as a very negative story. Mm-hmm. But when we ran uh, the actual emotion on that story, it actually comes out as love and sadness. And uh, that's the emotional side because kids are getting hurt and just sad that it's happening uh, because IKEA themselves have put everything in place to try and deal with this. Uh, but so so really what's happening there is the customer not, in a sense, blaming IKEA. Yeah. It's just sad about what's actually happening. So for IKEA, it's not the worst story, you know. It's a terrible story, and you have to do something about it. But it, it's only when customers get angry that they don't come back and shop with you. When customers are just sad, that doesn't mean they don't shop with you. So that's why that understanding the real emotion is is a very important thing.
1: Because that's a that's a huge thing for a brand to understand, isn't it? Because yeah,
0: exactly
1: in the you know five ten years ago. In that scenario, that the PR department would be braced for anybody talking about chest of drawers anywhere and yeah. on an offensive for six to twelve months trying to deal with what they perceived as the yeah. as the fallout. Whereas actually if it's about sadness and love, then it's we've done what we should do.
0: Yeah.
1: We're doing everything we can. Let's change the story.
0: Yeah. And you, you can work on these sort of things. So, so, and, and I mean, there's many other examples. We had an example with GoPro, uh, where GoPro had uh, there was a reporter uh, that was shot uh, by a NISIS sniper, and uh, but the GoPro camera uh, saved his life because the bullet hit the camera. Mm-hmm. And again, when sentiment analysis ran on that story, it read. Uh, ISIS, sniper, terrorist, bullet, all this kind of thing and read it as negative news. But actually, the, the real uh, result of that is kind of like joy and love and, you know, wow, you know, amazement that the guy was saved by his GoPro camera. So again, it's a very positive story for GoPro uh and you know they they need to work on well how can we maximize that kind of news when we get this kind of thing out so it, understanding the real way people feel about these things is 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 really kind of crucial i think to as a brand how you should best uh, react uh, to these kind of stories and the best way to you know make the most out of them or react in the right way when it's not a good story you know or or, or make the most out of any situation by understanding how people really feel
1: and obviously we we're, we're at the beginning of understanding this but is there yep. anything which the the smaller retailer can do to take advantage of this at the moment or is it very much a know that this is in this is coming down the line and keep an eye on it for the time being for the, you know for those guys who are like sub half million turnover
0: yeah and you know we have a couple of customers that are working with us at that level but they do things like monitor their social uh, media so, you know, if you've got a Facebook page on your store, you can also uh, work out how customers are feeling about you as a brand by the mood they come back, back with, you know. And you can also, uh, we can tra- track, uh, track uh, negative comments. So if you want to quickly look into your Facebook and just see if anyone's uh, reacting badly to you, to you, you can do that very quickly without having to troll through every single comment. So so these sort of uh, ways of just finding out quickly uh, how people feel and tracking the stuff that maybe is not so good and making sure you do something about that is, are ways that small businesses can work with this as well. So it, it's not only for the big guys, although I would say because it's tracking lots and lots of data points and the big guys get lots and lots of news, it makes it more useful when you have a ton of news and a ton of uh, social media, of course. But I think every everyone's kind of on social media now anyways. <laughs> it's, it's unwise to not watch what's happening out there.
1: <laughs> so so I guess the main barrier to entry is that volume, that statistical significance of volume of comment more than anything yeah, else. But-
0: but I think and I'm not being salesy here but our whole idea was to make the tool accessible to everyone so you know we we keep it uh, very very low price so that anyone can uh, can uh, use this tool as well so the idea was to really give it out there because I think it's something that can uh, be used in a really good positive way by brands and so we, we want to get it out there for people to use so.
1: Excellent. Um, okay. Well, let's let's leave emotion behind as much as I would yep. like to keep on talking about it and <laughs> oh, dragging no. examples out of you. Um, <laughs> let's get kind of go back to that that physical retail space and the and the you know the straightforward customer experience. I suppose mm-hmm. um, you mentioned about getting the right experience for the customer and then it's about the you know finding the right channels to reach and that there's no real difference between online and offline. Should you be aiming to create the same experience online as you do offline or is it a different experience because the customer is looking for something different?
0: Yeah, this this is a this is a a, a very interesting area because you know i can say what you know what what is a really great experience so you know, it can go all from, if I'm in food shopping, you know, say I'm, over here we have Albert Hein, but you know, whatever uh, food uh, retailer you want to uh, talk mm-hmm. about. A good experience for me can be just purely, I don't know, I want to grab a bottle of wine. So I go to that store, I can park easy, I go straight in, I go straight to the wine, I see a great offer on the shelf, I grab that one, I go to the checkout, there's no queue and I'm out there in two minutes without having to talk to anyone. That's a great experience because, you know, value for time is just as important to us. if not, you know, one of the most important things nowadays over having a great experience there. But if I go to, I don't know, if I go to Nike and I want to, uh, you know, I'm starting training for a half marathon. And uh, I want to find the best pair of shoes that are going to do that. And uh, I haven't had time to troll the internet for every single option. Mm -hmm. Then I want to meet someone who's maybe run a half marathon or understands what it's like to do it, is going to ask me about what time I'm trying to achieve, what training I'm going to do, and fits me up with the right shoe uh, that gets me through that whole process. And uh, and shoes are a very personal experience. If I go and buy a pair of shoes and I'm sold something that gives me blisters Mm -hmm. in the first <laughs> couple of days, I'm not going to come back to you in a hurry, you know. So I think you know the the experience depends on the product, and you know the, the trick is that whatever I'm going to ask uh, or whatever I'm going to do, I get the best experience, whether it's a time based one or whether it's a real product quality. Uh, one there as well, so uh, you know it's it's kind of it's a difficult question because of course it totally depends on the product and the the brand and uh, what's actually needed, but you as a brand have to work out what the likelihood is uh, of these kind of questions coming, and also whether that service is just transactional, or whether that's that service is a kind of desire you know and goes to a different level, and uh, you know. Uh, work out this, what you need to put in place to make that the best it can be
1: And within one brand, could mm-hmm. it be a different experience online to what it is offline? Yeah, is that that's feasible? Right. Yeah
0: Definitely, because, you know, if you take the Nike example, if I'm a seasoned runner and I only buy uh, Bowerman uh, shoes of a specific type and I want Air Zoom or whatever, I know what I'm after. I just want to go online, find the shoes and click as few times as possible and uh, get them the same of the next day so so that can uh you know that can be just for the same product it can be a totally different experience depending on the the knowledge and experience of the purchaser and you have to be ready for both
1: it's it's an interesting one i find because i i think people often certainly a few years ago people used to think that online was just the do it quick thing yeah and yeah. now it seems, you know, and the luxury brands have had such a battle to try and recreate that Gucci yeah. experience online, for example. Yeah. And now it seems that everybody's now trying to recreate that experience online. And it seems like a lot of businesses are just following the bandwagon of what everybody says they should do, rather than actually going, what do our customers want us to do? And what yeah, so- emotions should we be making them feel? So it's, it's nice to hear you saying, you know, there's different types of customers and they need a different experience.
0: Yeah. And I think that goes back to that first point that you have to decide as a brand and do the work to decide the experience you want to deliver and and make sure you you get it there. And, uh, you know, we we see in in the roles I'm in right now, I think uh, people are starting – I mean, there's a huge trend towards, you know, we need to deliver the right experience. And I'm not convinced that everyone is – You know, there yet in terms of what you need to do to do that. (laughs) 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 It's great to say, oh, we want a great experience, but that means online, it means everything has to be sharp there for both the quick customer who just wants to buy and the customer who wants to study. Mm-hmm. So they've got a, you know, if I'm researching online, which a lot of people do before they go to retail, then uh, to to offline retail, a lot of people just use the websites to research, but they still want to go in the store and touch and feel the product uh, and confirm everything before they actually make a purchase. They might even come back out of the retail store after doing that and still buy it online uh, just to get the best price. So you have to think more as a brand and not too much about... Uh, the actual sales in each area. Maybe give you another example, that oh, yeah, you please. know, when we first started with Nike Town, uh, when it opened in, oh, God, 99, I think it was. Gosh, we was it that long
1: ago? One.
0: Oh, shocker, isn't oh. it? <laughs> and uh, when we first started there, and you, you think that was really early days of social media and, you know, it, you know smartphones weren't really kicking in then either you know so this this was it, you know for someone that was only 17 18 years ago it, it, it feels almost archaic compared <laughs> to what there is now but we had this first sense that uh we, we don't because this is pre to apple stores mm. and everything you know and we had this first sense that Uh, you know, were the sales all going through the store, you know? So you've opened this massive store on the corner of Oxford Street, you know, uh, Oxford Circus. And, uh, you know, obviously we had massive sales going through there. But the real sense, the real thing that happened over that first year was over the rest of Europe, uh, Nike sales, I think that year, they were about 9% up year on year. You know, this was Nike flying high. Mm -hmm. But in the UK, with that Nike town, the sales were 19% up over that country. And that was the belief, and I'm I'm, I'm sure it was, was that the influence was coming from Nike town. So people were still coming down there, shopping in or, or visiting Nike town, wandering around. But then, when they went back to wherever their home was, the next time they were purchasing, we actually lifted the whole brand uh, with that store. And remember, it wasn't just Nike time the store. There was all these big physical events. You know, we had Michael Jordan in London for three days. Carl Lewis was there for seven days, and there was thousands of people coming to the store just to see their heroes. You know, we had so many of the big uh, Nike brand guys at the store. So, I mean, it kind of influenced uh, hugely the kind of trade. And we had retailers on Oxford. Street Street, who were, you know, like JD Sports and Foot Locker and all these guys who were selling Nike who were really worried that they were <laughs> going to lose all their Nike sales to Nike Town. But in fact, that didn't happen. It happened short term for a few months and then the whole brand just lifted. Mm. And so all of them did well. And, uh, you know, that that's the truth about doing a brand experience in a really great way and investing in, in that kind of uh, level of experience
1: you know i know i remember when nike town first opened and it yep. was it was when i was still at uni so i was very far from the, from being part of the retail world and yep. for some of my friends it was it was on their list of the top three things they needed to do, needed to do yeah. if they were going yep. to london it was almost yep. a tourist destination a pilgrimage yep. if you like it
0: really was yeah we used to sell tourist shirts that were just nike <laughs> down london paper and they sold like crazy but it, it was that level you know it, it was maybe one of the first uh elements of kind of true uh retail theater to uh to you know followed by apple and everything of course but it was when it when it opened it was way out there you know it was uh an amazing place
1: okay cliff i've got one last question before we go yeah. into the top tips round yep which is for let's say say our sub half million turnover bricks and mm-hmm. clicks business. Yep. What and if they're if they're thinking, right, twenty eighteen, the key thing I need to nail is that customer experience mm-hmm. piece um for the for the for the future success of my business. Where should they start?
0: As as we said, you really deciding what it is that they want to deliver and within their category, uh, really deciding, you know, what makes them unique and what they're going to do that differentiates them from the other guys that are selling similar or the same product. Now, a a lot of people that uh, I speak to, especially in in the role with performance solutions now, the big things, and maybe I'm giving you more of the tips here as well, but uh, the, the big things that we see as challenges are, in fact, the biggest thing. If I put it down to one thing right now, it's retention. It's keeping the good people in their business and motivating these guys to uh, work there because a lot of the, the experience you deliver at the end of the day is people. And I think, I truly believe, especially in smaller businesses, that people are your marketing. You know, when people come in and get great service, they go back out and they tell everyone. And you have such a great chance. I mean, you know, years ago, they would go and tell 10 of their friends. Nowadays, they can go and tell 10,000 people on social Mm -hmm. media in a heartbeat, you know, if it goes that way. So, you know, and the people that are your marketeers are your staff that are actually in your store. So I think, you know, getting that base right Getting them to understand what it is you want to deliver and be part of that and then them delivering to the customers that you have is by far the best way you can do business these days, in my opinion.
1: Excellent. I love the consistency of your answers. I always, I always find it, find it slightly crazy when, when, you know, the, the, the answers, it just, there's so much to say when the consistency of message work out what the experience should be is absolutely brilliant. But you've just, by talking about staff retention, you've just triggered a very, very quick question. I want to ask you another one. Automated chat bots on websites to do live chat customer service, good thing or a bad thing?
0: oh you know without uh,
1: you know without this turning into a whole other podcast
0: until ai gets to the stage that uh the customer doesn't know who they're talking to <laughs> i think it's a bad thing i'll give you one example there, there's a company over in holland uh called leap and it's spelled l-e-a-p-p and if you work out these words they're kind of part of apple so it's Apple with L.E. put at the front. Mm-hmm. And what they do is they resell uh, Apple computers. as uh, they, they basically refurbish second-hand Apple computers and sell them, them and phones and iPads back to people at lower prices. And they get students and everything into the market. But what they do is when you go online with their chatbot, uh, when you click on the, you, you come through to a real person. So they have people sitting online, and they will come and talk to you online, like on a Skype call or whatever, and help you out. And I think that kind of (laughs) chatbot, that's a really cool way to go. But uh, the the false ones, I think they can help answer a lot of basic questions, and it's definitely a big improvement on having nothing. And uh, these things are programmed to answer the most relevant questions. But I think when it gets to anything difficult, you've got to get through to a human being. Because again, you come down to that experience and, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we're humans and we like face-to-face connection at some point, which is why retail will never die because that still has to be part of any brand.
1: Excellent. OK, let's go into the top tips round then. And I love this section because it gives me and our listeners some quick ideas for taking our businesses to the next level. So first up, Cliff, the book top tip. If everyone listening to this podcast took Friday off to read a book to make their business better, which book would you recommend?
0: Oh, God. No. Uh, Tough one, eh? Yeah. Probably Richard Hammond's book. Uh, in the UK, and I'm trying to remember the name off the top of my head here. But uh, Richard Hammond, if you look him up, he's on the fourth version of the book, which is Smart Retail, actually. And uh, I I read Richard's first book when it came out in, well, I'm trying to remember when it was. It must have been, it's 13, 14 years ago, so early Hmm. 2000s. And he just put together in that, especially the first book, uh, just all the kind of tips and tricks that any retailer should be using to increase their business. So it's good, basic stuff about watching what customers do, laying out your store, all that kind of thing. And uh, it's a book that I think was the easiest read and uh, had the most uh, 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 most kind of good ideas, especially for small retailers, because it takes tips from the big guys and puts them into a book uh, that anyone can execute.
1: Oh, excellent recommendation. Definitely the first time that one's been mentioned on the show. Oh, right.
0: It's a, it's, I think he's on his fourth edition now and he's started to add digital into it as well. Oh, cool. so, uh, it's uh, good stuff. And he's yeah. a good, uh, well-experienced retailer.
1: Marvelous. Well, next up then, the traffic top tip. Which marketing method do you either prize above all others, or think doesn't get the press it deserves?
0: I I think when it comes to traffic, and uh, the time I spent in Prism, and and looking at how people, uh, uh, and that was Prism, not Prism.
1: I was uh, wondering.
0: <laughs> we there we did a lot of uh, looking into how people moved around stores. And uh, the biggest thing we saw was that there is a very, very high number of people. When when you measure people through your front door, and you think uh, I get a thousand in, for instance, we were working with a huge furniture retailer in the U.S., not IKEA, another one. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know they were finding they, maybe they got a thousand people in the door, but certain areas of the store were getting three, four percent of that traffic. And so uh, we did a lot of work with them to to look at how we could push people around the store in different ways. And Ikea have kind of mastered a lot of that Mm -hmm. with that, uh, you know, love it or hate it, the fact that you get pushed around the whole store. Uh, by the the walkway but uh, I think that's the thing retailers uh, you know they kind of count how many people came in the front door but you've got to really look at how many of these people are actually getting around your whole offer and and working out ways to make people shop your whole store and your whole offer is really it's a big thing when it comes to if you can just get a few more people to do it you increase your sales. So uh, we called it penetration back then. You know, people penetrate in the store. They would just come in, but they would really get to the back of your store and uh, go through everything. And the more you can drive that penetration, the more you drive your sales. Supermarkets are great. You know, stick your bread and your milk at the back of the shop and off you go. But everyone else needs to think about the same kind of thing.
1: Excellent advice. Okay, next up, the tool top tip. This might be a collaboration tool, a social media plugin, a phone app, or just a way of working. Is there a cool little tool you use that makes you and your team more efficient from day to day?
0: Uh, I would say, uh, if you don't already use it, look at Slack. Uh, which is a collaboration tool that you can use with your team and you can set up all kinds of subjects in there and uh, uh, it's just a great way of working. I've used it, I think it started about four years ago in the US. It started to spread over to Europe now. All the kind of cool little IT companies use it. There's a kind of free version when you start up or almost free and it uh, is a great way of just collaborating uh, privately within your own company when you set up that.
1: I reckon, I haven't done the count-up, but I think Slack has quite possibly now become the most recommended tool on the show.
0: Yeah, it's great. It's a great yeah. tool.
1: Okay, the startup top tip. If you met someone this weekend who's thinking of starting an e-commerce business, what would be your first piece of advice for them? <laughs> I know, it's a big one, isn't it?
0: Oh, uh, wow! <clears throat> don't. Oh, no, I know. <laughs> 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 I, I think you know you really have to think about what you're doing in there to do an e-commerce business i mean I, I think anything that's uh helping out in the customer experience or starting to help in that way is probably a way to go because every everyone's uh working on that uh but uh a tip would be really, really get together on what it is you're trying to deliver, who your customer's going to be, and uh, really do your diligence on have you, you know, have you got something that uh, is unique out there and is is, is going to really help people? Because I think uh, you know you have to do all that diligence before you kick off in this world. You've got to really understand uh, what it is you're doing and uh, who needs uh, that service.
1: Such great advice. Look, Masterplan World, you can find those top tips and links to everything else we've been chatting about in today's episode by heading over to ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash podcast, where you'll see a link to this show. Now, Cliff, before we say goodbye, could you let the listeners know where they can find you and MRAs and performance solutions on the web and social media if they want to get in contact?
0: Yeah, well, you can look me up on LinkedIn. Uh, just look up Cliff Crosby at Emrys, and you'll find me there. And it's Cliff at Emrys, and it's Cliff Crosby at Performance Solutions or PS. Uh, but you can find me there. And I'm also on Mac.com. So uh, any, anywhere there you want to pick me up, no problem.
1: Cool. And is uh, what are the websites for the two businesses, if anyone's going
0: Emrys.com to- uh, and performancesolutions.com
1: marvellous I'll add links to all of that and everything else we talked about today in the show notes Masterplan World you can find those at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash podcast or just go to the website click on the podcast tab or use the search box Cliff thank you so much for being on the podcast today and for giving us such a fascinating insight into just the kind of like a very few things from your marvellous experience it's been absolutely brilliant and I wish you all the best for 2018
0: thanks Chloe it's been a pleasure
1: how how interesting to get to dive into kind of the world of physical retail there. And also those really interesting things that um, Cliff was saying around the emotional piece and how sentiment can play such a big part in creating that good experience. So, so customer experience, only going to get a bigger piece. And, and today we're really talking about that high level customer experience. What do they feel when they leave you? And that could be... They've got the product, it was easy, it was streamlined, a bit like the Amazon experience, or it could be a full-on, they've had that one-on-one purchasing experience. What it, What should it be for your brand? What do you need it to be to keep those customers coming back? It's a It's a difficult one to action, but it's one that could have a huge difference to your sales in 2018. Okay, so that's it for our 2018 growth series. It's now all live. You can listen and re-listen to your heart's content. Um, do let me know what you think. Of course, the podcasting continues. It doesn't end today. Uh, and next Monday, I've got an interview coming up with Sully, who's the CEO and founder of BombTech Golf, who's going to be discussing how to launch and grow using product, passion, content, Facebook and video. And he really knows what he's talking about because he's got a 7 million turnover business that's experiencing 50% year on year growth. I know you're wondering why on earth I didn't put his in the 2018 growth series. Well, I just didn't have space. So another great interview next week for you. And whilst you're waiting for that, Why not watch some of the great videos in the eCommerce Masterplan Virtual Summit? It is completely free. We added another four sessions a couple of weeks ago. So go on, have a watch. It's all at eCommerceMasterplan.com forward slash summit. Have a great week and keep optimising.
0: Thank you for listening to the eCommerce Masterplan podcast. Find out more at eCommerceMasterplan.com.